This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm so thrilled that you've joined me today. Do me a favor. Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, I couldn't be more fired up about today's topic. When you think of the top issues facing Christians in the days to come, what comes to mind? I know in my top three are human sexuality. There's also the issue of overcoming church hurt that many are dealing with. About 37% of those who don't attend church say it's because of a negative interaction with the church. But number three on my list, and depending on the day, it may even be higher, is digital discipleship. Uh, How can Christians be thoughtful and wise in our engagement with internet technologies? We're going to talk about that, and uh, I think it's going to be a revolutionary conversation for parents, for pastors, for grandparents, and for those who want to get this right and understand the serious role that internet and social technologies are having on our lives and don't want to be unrealistic about hiding out from these things, but also want to make sure that we are leading technology and technology isn't leading us. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But here's what I love about our program is that we get a chance every day to tackle the tough issues of our culture with biblical and relevant answers. But we need your help in order to be able to do that. And that's why I've been asking you to help us to finish the year strong. Now, one of the ways that you could do that is through praying for us. And I would ask that you would be a part of our prayer team, that you would pray for us daily. Uh, We're trying to take on issues that are important, everything from how should we be thinking about Palestinian Christians in the Middle East to how should we be thinking about human technology and shifts in morality to what's happening in digital spaces. All of these things are really, really important uh, to your life and to the life of those within your community. What's most important to me is seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why the program is firmly rooted in the Word of God, believing that Scripture is inerrant, inspired, infallible, and eternal, and not backing away from that one inch and declaring that salvation is found in Christ alone. And so if that is important to you, I would ask that you would also consider standing with us financially. Now today we need friends who can stand with us with a gift of $100 or more. If we're gonna hit our budget this uh, this month, it's really critical uh, for that. We're a little bit behind pace, but I'm confident in the generosity of uh, those who listen to Equip. So today if we could have 10 friends who respond with a gift of $100 or more, that would be huge. And so I want to say thank you in advance, but I also want to give you the number so that you can call 888-644-4144. Maybe your gift is $100. Maybe your gift is 
$500, maybe you can do an anchor gift of $1,000. Whatever you can do, today is the day for that gift. So dial the number 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. I'll make sure I say thank yous throughout the program and keep you updated on our progress. But please go now to equipradio.org or dial 888-644-4144. Today, I'm so grateful to feature a resource that I've been excited to talk about for some time now, Digital Liturgies, Rediscovering Wisdom in an Online Age. It is written by one of the, I think, emerging thought leaders in Christianity today, especially in the space of the intersection of Christianity, theology, and technology. That's Samuel D. James. He's the Associate Acquisitions Editor at Crossway uh, Publishers, and he's also uh, the author of this book. He also writes regularly under the newsletter of Digital Liturgies, and he joins me today. Sam, how are you? Doing great, Chris. It is so good to have you, and I'm so grateful uh, for you joining me. Uh, you've been referred to by some as a tech realist. What is that? Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a term that I adopted um, to clarify kind of the difference between tech pessimism and tech realism. So, um, <laughs> or t- tech optimism, I guess I should say. So a tech optimist would be somebody who is you know, pretty cheery about, you know, getting the the latest and the greatest technology and kind of using it however the marketers kind of want us to use it. And uh, and a tech pessimist would be somebody who is kind of, you know, drawing up plans for their cabin in the woods and uh, trying to live off the grid and, uh, you know, just kind of eschewing everything to do with technology. Well, I, I think both of those extremes don't really describe what I'm trying to do in this book. I, I think what I try to bring to this book is uh, a sober awareness of what particularly internet technology is, um, but then also an awareness that, as the subtitle of the book says, we live in an online age. It's not simply that all of us are online individually, but that we, we live in a world that is influenced by this technology. So the question is not necessarily how far or how fast can we run away from these technologies, although that may be required in some instances, uh, the real question is how do we live wisely the way the Lord would have us yes. live in a yes. world that is so deeply shaped by the smartphone, social media, and the like? Yeah, I love that you use that balance there because I do think we can go to extremes. I do, as always, want to open up this conversation to moms, to dads, to pastors, grandparents who are saying, man, I'm trying to navigate this myself, but maybe equally as important as I'm trying to disciple a son, a daughter, a grandchild through the proper relationship with technology. Uh, And I think uh, social internet creates uh, fears as well as hopes and aspirations in all of us. And so how do we balance all of those things? And uh, Sam Samuel James is just one of the again, more thoughtful individuals in this space. And I really wanted to have him on because of that. So the phone number to join the conversation is 877-LIVE-675. If you have questions, again, uh, 877-LIVE-675. Let's just talk a little bit, uh, Samuel, uh, about wisdom. I love this subtitle that you have 
uh, rediscovering Christian wisdom in an online age, there is a difference throughout the book of Proverbs between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And I think that what most people have confused in our day is the fact that we are in a information age. Knowledge or information is plentiful, but wisdom seems to be scarce. Explain the difference between information on the one hand and wisdom on the other. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So I think the way the Bible kind of looks at wisdom and information is that, you know, information kind of uh, just sits there and you, you can kind of take it or leave it. You can kind of interpret it. And uh, the question with information is, will you receive this information or not? Um, The difference between information and wisdom is that it's possible to have a lot of information and yet the way that you choose to live in light of that information is not correct. It doesn't reflect reality. So the, the, you know, the book of Proverbs anchors its wisdom in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, that's what Proverbs says. And the fear of the Lord refers not simply to having a lot of data about who God is, but, it, but living correctly in light of that reality. So the, the whole theme of, Pro, of Proverbs and the wisdom literature is that God has created a world that is objectively real and that as human beings, we can only flourish when we live reflecting that reality, when we, when we live kind of along the grain of what's true rather than against the grain. Um, and so, you know, in, in an information age, it's possible to have all of these streams of input coming at us. And if we, if we think of wisdom merely as the accumulation of knowledge, then the implication of that would be the more streams of knowledge that we have, the better. And the yes. more we can kind of just resemble this endless pipeline of noise and of data then the more wise we're going to be. When in actually the, the Christian understanding of wisdom is that wisdom is a posture foremost. It's what, how will you live in light of who God is, in light of who you are, in light of the kind of world in which you live? And so that's relevant for the conversation about technology uh, because it is possible and in fact likely, I think for most people, that as technology threatens to kind of immerse us constantly, that we lose sight of what this world really is like, who God really is like, what we really are like, and we lose touch with reality. And to lose touch with reality is to lose touch with wisdom. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. And yeah, as as I listen to you explain that, I recognize so much of that needs to find itself in in the preaching of pastors and in the parenting of moms and dads. And so we're going to talk and give wisdom to both of those groups. If you're a mom or dad or grandparent, we're going to give you some practical wisdom. And I think uh, Samuel's book is great for parents. But we're also going to give church leaders and pastors and those who care about the broader body of Christ wisdom as well. But it seems to me, Samuel, that my big takeaway from your book is that my starting point with social, with the social internet, my starting point with uh, internet technology is, is, should be that technology is not neutral. 
that while it presents many opportunities, it's also making many impressions on my heart. Is that a right uh, way of summarizing the starting point? That's absolutely right. Uh, What I like to tell people when they ask, you know, isn't technology neutral? Can't we use it for good and evil? I say, well, we can use it for good or evil, but that doesn't mean that it's neutral. It doesn't mean that it just sits there like uh, a pair of pliers or a wheel that uh, you know has to be manipulated in some way before it does anything. These are what uh, social scientist Nicholas Carr calls information technologies. Uh, that's what social media is. That's what the web is. That's what you know, YouTube is. Uh, these are information technologies that are shaping the way we think and the words that we use and the way we describe the world. Uh, And so to say that technology is not neutral, particularly digital technology, is not to say that it it cannot be used wisely or well. Uh, It is to say that technology, by virtue of what it is, is inviting us to imagine certain things and to live in certain ways. And many of those ways are actually contrary to the description of the world that we receive in Scripture. Um, so the more distance, for example, that we put between our physical location and the people who are actually around us, our community, our family, the, the, the more we retreat away from that and into the virtual world where we may have a lot of mm. followers or we may have yeah. uh, this idealistic lifestyle that we aspire to, the more we retreat from that reality, from, from our, our actual reality into this virtual world, uh, we're actually becoming people who are uh, unwise and we're living unwisely. Yes, and so yes. it's not simply a question of, am I looking at the, am I lo- only looking at good content or am I, am I trying to avoid bad content? Really the question is, are, are, are your emotions, is your attention span, is your spiritual energy is that mostly directed toward the life that Christ has actually given you? Or is it being directed toward this kind of unreal space that you are trying to occupy through the internet? How should Christians feel about virtual reality? What about augmented reality? How do you balance uh, your concerns over technology with your beliefs in the sovereignty of God? What's the role of parents and Pastors, we're going to talk about all of this and so much more. Friends, if you have not already added digital liturgies to your library, rediscovering Christian wisdom in the online age, I could not encourage you to pick this book up enough. How is our technology and use thereof shaping and impacting us and our children and the next generation? We're going to talk about that and so much more on the other side of this break. Also, don't forget to support Equip today with your uh, most generous year-end tax-deductible gift. Go to our website, equipradio.org. We'll be right back right after this. This time of year, Christmas music is everywhere. But I want to take you back long before the first Christmas album was ever released to the days of Jesus' birth. In Born a Child and Yet a King, author Nancy DeMoss Wagaman reflects on who Jesus is and why he came by giving us a tour of the gospel and carols. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to equip. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit equipradio.org. 
Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Uh, today, as a parent, as a pastor, as a friend that's also on this journey of Christian faith with you, I am uh, really concerned about how to properly relate to the digital technologies in my own life. How should I be relating to platforms like ChatGPT or even social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter um, who've gone through massive changes or Instagram or Snapchat? And not only am I concerned about how I should relate to these digital platforms and technologies, I'm also concerned for my children who daily are connected to these things. And I think even more and more schools are forcing our kids towards that direction. Uh, My kids, uh, most of them, go to schools that uh, got rid of textbooks a long time ago in exchange for tablets, which became much harder to regulate and uh, their technology use as moms and dads, rendering it uh, seemingly almost impossible because for their schoolwork, they have to engage with tablets and devices. And so where does a parent go? Where does a pastor look for wisdom? Where do those who are concerned about our culture look for wisdom so that we can be tech realists and not just tech pessimists or optimists? Well, that's why I recommend Samuel James's book, Digital Liturgies. I believe it's going to help you in a tremendous, tremendous way. For those who don't use the language of liturgy, Sam Samuel, what are you getting at there by calling the book Digital Liturgies? Yeah, so the language of liturgy comes obviously from corporate worship, from the local church, and typically we use it to refer to kind of the sets of practices that help us to kind of latch on to the truth of Scripture. So whether that's a uh, corporate call to worship or a prayer of confession, the sermon, singing, all of these things are different types of practices that take the truth of the gospel and press it into our hearts in a way that you know, simply being told by someone flatly the gospel is true Uh, that alone cannot reach our affections the way that the liturgy can. And so by connecting uh, the the use of technology uh, to to kind of what we experience in a church, I think is a helpful way to conceptualize the way that um, when when we we log on to social media, when we use the Internet, uh, the social Internet in particular— our emotions are being engaged. Our our beliefs are being engaged. It's, it's not simply a passive, kind of uh, empty-minded hobby. We are actually being appealed to at a at a heart level, uh, based on what the internet is. Yes. So, uh, similar yes. to the way we see that effect in a church, I think is is true of of technology as well. It was, I think, originally in 2010 that the book The Shallows was published by um, British author Nicholas G. Carr. Um, So insightful in helping us to understand how the Internet is shaping and impacting our brains. Talk about what you learned from Nicholas Carr and how that influence shows itself up in digital liturgies. Yeah, so The Shallows is a very influential book in my life, uh, and it was 
just a few years ago that I read it for the first time and uh, found uh, Nicholas Carr's argument uh, where he lays out the scientific and the cognitive case for why just reading on the Internet actually changes our brains. That This is his main thesis, that people who learn to engage ideas and language through the Internet, they learn how to think and feel differently than people who uh, kind of encounter ideas and language through books and, and printed media. Um, and this was a, a revolutionary argument when Carr made it in 2010 by putting together all this research that showed, hey, actually when we, when we read things online, we're less able to remember it. Uh, when we uh, kind of encounter difficult or controversial ideas through the computer, we tend to kind of react more emotively than we would if someone handed us a book or we were in a physical conversation. Uh, and so he takes all of this scientific research to make the argument that really we are becoming Internet-shaped thinkers. Uh, and the goal of Digital Liturgies was really to take that observation and to make it speak to Scripture. What what does, what does this insight have to do with who we are called to be as Christians? And I think the result was uh, just as the way that, that the Internet affects our minds, it also affects our hearts. And the Bible calls us to certain kinds of, of thinking and communicating that, are, that just feel more alien when we're online. So I, I hope that the book at least helps people kind of connect the dots uh, between the physical and the spiritual. I really want to encourage uh, parents and uh, grandparents, pastors and leaders. Uh, maybe you have a young person who you are thinking through and discipling in this area of digital discipleship. I want to take your calls at 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. It seems like uh, Samuel that just about every week I hear horrifying stories of young people who have been in some negative experience on a social media platform, uh, be it uh, bullying or taking inappropriate pictures and being blackmailed and threatened. I think so much of what parents are afraid of is how our kids are going to be negatively influenced what advice do you want to give to moms and dads who are thinking through, man, how do I navigate this world that seems to be changing so rapidly? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think that we have to start with, um, you know, if the, if the baseline issue is that the world of the Internet often represents this kind of counter reality where, you know, taking a, uh, an explicit photo of yourself or bullying someone else where, where that feels more plausible, it feels more smart or, or more wise than it would in a different situation, then I think we have to take that seriously. And, and Chris, I, I think one of the things a lot of parents are going to want to do is, is kind of rethink their basic conceptions of privacy in the home. And, and, you know, we're Americans, we value privacy rightly. We, we want to, we want to be uh, you know, free from, from interference. But I think sometimes we take that concept to an extreme in parenting and we, we, we hand children iPads and laptops and smartphones and we say, yeah, go, go to your room and, and, and stay in your room for weeks on end with this just 
this, yeah. this device. Uh, and I, I think part of what's going to happen in the, in the years ahead is that parents are going to rethink that and they're going to start going back to, you know, the family PC model where there's, there's one computer in a public area. And, and that by itself, it doesn't just offer accountability, but it's almost this physical reminder to anyone who's using that computer that this is not the real world. That actually yes. you see your mom or dad over there. You see your brother or sister over there. And it, it, that's a physical way of reminding you of what reality you actually inhabit. So I think rethinking the whole uh, extreme emphasis on digital privacy, specifically within the family, I think is going to be very, very key. I'm so grateful. And it was not lost on me, Samuel, that you dedicated this book to your dad and to your mom. And uh, obviously that speaks uh, volumes. If I'm right, your dad uh, spent years and years as a pastor. Is that correct? That's right. And that's a blessing. But that, that even that, and I'm a pastor myself, doesn't guarantee uh, right outcomes. It doesn't uh, mean it's a foolproof plan against pressures. Uh, we cannot look at the digital conversation like so many in the generation before us saw the sex conversation as happening at a one point in time in our child's lives. We have to see it as an ongoing conversation for some, even a daily conversation. What is the greatest competitor to the ideas you're trying to instill in the hearts of your children? What's the greatest competitor to even the morality that we're trying to pass down for one generation to the next? I think it's the ideas they're encountering on the internet. So how do we navigate that? Samuel's book, Digital Liturgies, helps us to understand how we're being shaped and how we can ground ourselves in the reality of community and the truth of God's word. Don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful for you joining us today and super grateful for all of our partners and friends that make it possible for Equip to be here each and every day to equip Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend their faith. And I want to just take a moment to say thank you to all the local stations that help to air Equip. I think about uh, the privilege it is to pro, uh, to be uh, able to broadcast each and every day across the U.S. and into Canada, and it's because of the local stations that have confidence in our ministry. And when you give to the ministries that you hear on your local radio station, you're actually supporting that station. You're actually helping to bolster the primary beacon of the gospel through radio in your local community. And so I want you to know that your support of the ministries on the station that you listen to that makes such an impact on your life enables it to be there for you, not only today, but in the days to come. And not just for you, but for your neighbors as well. So please support today because we need Christian radio. Now more than ever before, we need a megaphone for the church in this age. And Christian radio provides that platform for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be broadcasted locally and around the world. 
Dial this number, 888-644-4144. Today we're asking for 10 friends to consider a $100 gift or more to equip. Dial the number, 888-644-4144, or go to equipradio.org. And this month, when you support Equip, we're going to send you as a gift, Born a Child and Yet a King. It's by Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth, and it really is powerful. It's a powerful Advent resource that looks at the gospel through the carols. You think about a great way for you to engage your neighbors in a conversation about the gospels, just ask them, what's your favorite Christmas carol? Odds are buried within the lyrics of that carol is the gospel, and uh, Nancy helps us to be able to connect those beloved carols to Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the gift of Christmas. Again, go to our website, equipradio.org. Today, I'm grateful to be joined by Samuel D. James. He's the Associate Acquisitions Editor at uh, Crossway, and he's also the author of the book, Digital Liturgies, Rediscovering Christian Wisdom in an Online Age. Uh, Samuel, how do you on a personal level balance uh, this concern that many of us have about the direction and the influence and all the negative things associated with internet technology and your belief in the sovereignty of God? That's a really good question. Um, So I I think it's important for me to remember that uh, the sovereignty of God is really what makes the difference between, uh, you know, working for the truth and uh, basically burning out for the truth. So if if God is not sovereign, then that kind of opens the door for me to just kind of crumble into myself because I see the world uh, and and just going in a bad direction, and there's nothing I can do about it. And and I think that is where. The sovereignty of God is so important for us as we kind of try to raise families and shape communities uh, to remember that that uh, Christ is King and He is still on His throne and this world is His and it belongs to Him and He will He will triumph. Um, but on the other hand, it's important to remember that Christ is sovereign and we are not. And the fact that we are not means that we have to be very attentive. And, and I, I'm reminded of the biblical story of the Tower of Babel, and, uh, you know, perhaps one of the earliest depictions of God's relationship with human technology, uh, God comes down to see this tower that that people are building into heaven, and it's not that he lacks sovereignty over the tower. It's not that he can't control what people are doing with the tower. The issue is that the people are not sovereign. That's the point, and that's why he uh, confuses the languages and stops them from building a tower into heaven, because he wants us to know as his creatures that he is sovereign, we're not. And and that is the temptation with digital technology. It's the temptation to make ourselves godlike, to give ourselves permission to be anywhere we want, to see anything we want to see, to become anything we want to become. It, it gives us this sense of our sovereignty rather than God's. And so we we understand that Christ is completely sovereign over this world, and that gives us the hope that we need to continue on to uh, help each other, encourage one another, and to, to change this world for the better, for, for Christ and his kingdom. Uh, but it also reminds us that it's, it's our lack of sovereignty and our lack of godlike authority that means that we have to approach 
things like technology from a very humble, a very uh, realistic perspective, rather than a, a feeling of having absolute unlimited power to, to consume and be anything we want. Samuel, I use different social media platforms, uh, and I use them differently. I think that Instagram is great for capturing moments in my life that I want to share with the world. I think that Facebook, when it's at its best, keeps me well-connected to my friends and my family and my church. I think that um, the Twitter platform, now known as X, uh, has really become my primary news feed. But as I think about these uh, wonderful platforms, I also think about what they communicate to me. It seems like every day in the morning when I check these things, uh, I'm reminded of the fallenness of humanity. Someone's done some evil act. And uh, this seems to be repeated again and again, day after day, which brings up a couple of tension points that I would love for you to talk about. How is digital technology, internet technology, shaping our understanding of sin and shame on the one hand and repentance and grace on the other? Yeah, so I I think it it doesn't take people long, you know, if they're looking at the news to to hear something about cancel culture. And, you know, by cancel culture, we we often mean – it's usually this group of people that are, are trying to kind of get this person or this institution kind of destroyed because of anger over something that's been done. And so I'm sure some of your listeners have been maybe the victims of cancel culture, and most of us have seen an example of it play out in real time. And I think cancel culture is a great depiction of what a digital age uh, tries to do to replace the biblical doctrine of repentance and grace. So because there's no understanding of sin against God, of, of the, need to, uh, the need to be penitent for that sin because we've offended a holy God, and because there's no room for an atonement, um, instead what we have is the sense that we have to make ourselves pure by casting out sinners from among us. We have, to, we have to send people away. We have to throw people away in order to become pure, because as long as this person who made a joke I didn't like or offended me in some way, as long as this person is still around and I can still see them, then somehow I'm impure. Uh, and that is exactly the opposite of the biblical doctrine of grace and repentance, because the Bible teaches that we're all sinners. Uh, but in a, in a digital world that often just evaluates people based on um, you know, how they make us feel in a given moment, um, we don't have a sense that we're all sinners. We just have a sense that some people, these people over here, the people we don't like are sinners. Uh, and so part of, part of what the challenge is in living in a digital age is to kind of just recover this sense of humility and of grace. Uh, we, we have to understand that the gospel calls us to recognize that we are sinners. The problem is not ultimately those people over there. It, it's me. It's my heart. And Christ goes to the cross for sinners, uh, and that should mean that there is room in our lives to tolerate people who disagree with us, who may offend us on occasion. Um, and so we have, to be, we have to live above the impulse that the Internet cultivates in us to cancel, to delete, to mute, to block anything that, that causes us discomfort. And we can do that because the gospel is the story of how God brings 
sinners who have offended his holiness close to him through the cross. Sam writes this in his book, everyone longs for a glimpse of heaven. The problem is we are looking for it in the wrong places, the internet. With advancement in internet technology, people can get instant answers to just about any question and stay informed about events around the world in real time. But these incredible technology, technological rather developments can often form a roadblock for those pursuing godly wisdom. That's what my heart is. You who listen to Equip often know that one of our great desires is to cultivate godly wisdom in our hearts. And uh, Sam has taken up the question of how do we do that in a digital age? I want to encourage you as we go to our final break of the day to get your copy of Digital Liturgies. It's a great book for you. It's a great book for your family. And when we come back from this break, one of the points that I want to drive home is it's a great book for your church. Uh, When you think about, man, what should my elders of my church be reading? My pastors in my church, what should they uh, consider adding to their library as they seek to shepherd the flock of God? Uh, I think Digital Liturgies is one of those books. Why don't you go to our website, equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. And also, while you're there, support the program. If we've been a blessing to you, your gift of any amount makes a huge difference as we end this year praising God with a vision for impacting lives in the future. Go to equipradio.org. More with, with Samuel James right after this. On Equip, we tackle the tough issues, and there sure have been many this past year. But we continue to confront them with the relevant biblical truth of the gospel. As we turn to a new year, will you join our Christ-centered approach by becoming an auto-gift monthly partner? Keep Equip on the air in your community and across the nation. Your $30, $50, or $85 a month gift will make a huge difference in this new year. Equip yourself and make a difference for Christ and His kingdom at the same time by calling 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. What a great conversation with Samuel D. James, Associate Acquisitions Editor at uh, Crossway and also the author of Digital Liturgies. Sam, let's talk to pastors if we could. I think uh, as, I, as I listen to you, one of the things that I love is how theologically informed you are. You've also written on the importance of separating technology from theology. How do we do that? Yeah, I think one of the things that pastors in particular can do is to be mindful of the temptation that I think is, is uh, present to a lot of us to kind of use social media and the internet to kind of scratch theological itches that we're not getting anywhere else. So what I mean by that is I've, I've seen this in, in people that I know and have seen up close is that there is a temptation to kind of go to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook uh, and kind of try to show yourself off as a theologian and to kind of get into disputes and, <clears throat> um, you know, kind of, posture yourself a little bit. Uh, and, and that's a temptation for all of us in one way or another. But I think pastors in particular can feel like the internet gives them an outlet 
to, to t- kind of talk about theology, to argue theology uh, that, that maybe their local church doesn't give them. And so I think it's important, first of all, to realize that, that the social media in particular is designed to bring out uh, what is most argumentative, what is most kind of emotionally um, harsh in us. It, it, algorithmically, that's, that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to captivate us with negative emotion. And when we're talking about the things of God, we're talking about the things of Scripture, we're, we're talking about things that should humble us, that should leave us in awe, that should lead us to um, wonder at the grace of God and to extend that grace to others. And so I think we have to be very careful that theological debates and theological arguments don't become the primary way that we interact with Scripture, that, that when we think of the Bible, when we think of the gospel, our first instinct is not to think of all those people online who may be saying something that we disagree with. But our first thought needs to be Jesus. Our first thought needs to be worshiping him with other believers and the amazing way that that reality transforms all of our life. So I, I would encourage pastors to, to, to use the Internet wisely, but also to be very aware of how when, when we go online to, to talk about theology, how the form of the Internet itself can kind of disfigure what we're talking about and can actually lead us to do something that would undermine the witness of the gospel. Yeah. I don't know if you realize how countercultural your book is in, in many ways, but I'm, I'm grateful for it because one of the messages that I'm deeply concerned about that I keep running into are sociologists who continue to produce reports that say pastors give up on your, your attempts to call people back into corporate worship that it's not working, that people have already, by and large, opted out of corporate worship and have chosen instead to replace that with online worship, and that's it. But over and over again in this conversation, I don't want people to miss the fact that you call us in a real physical community, be it with our local families uh, that are in our homes or our friends in our neighborhood and community, uh, as as well as corporate worship physically with a local church. That's really important, isn't it? It's so important, Chris. And when we think about what the Bible says about church, we find commands to serve one another, to love one another, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, to prefer one another. You know, the famous one another's of the New Testament. It, it's just not possible to fulfill those commands through a laptop screen or through a smartphone screen. You, you can't do it. You can't, you can't really meet that person's need. You can't encourage them in the way that you can when you're in person. So I, I hope people will read this book and will come away not, not feeling guilty for streaming a service or, or feeling like this is another guilt trip, but feeling instead an invitation to the antidote to so much of the loneliness and the isolation that afflicts our generation simply by coming to church. There is so much healing and so much uh, peace in the body of Christ that we can experience when we're with one another physically. Uh, And that is something that we absolutely need to protect. And for all the good things that technology has given us, it has not in any way uh, given us an excuse to replace in-person gatherings. So we, we have to recover that. And Jesus Jesus' body is a real thing, and, and it, it, we will honor him, and we ourselves will be blessed as we participate in his body in person and not just turning it into uh, something else that we can download. 
There's so many questions I want to get to, and, and maybe I'll end with this and uh, these last two. Quickly, before we wrap up, explain the difference between technology as a tool and technology as an ambient, because I just find your insights on this to be extremely helpful. Yeah, so technology as a tool is something that uh, tends to stay there, so until you need it. So imagine, for example, an early PC without Internet access. It simply stays in one corner of the room, and to get on, you have to be in that corner, and then when you're done, you get up and you leave, and the computer doesn't follow you. Well, uh, 5G technology and Wi-Fi has created a world in which the Internet is ambient. We carry it in our pockets. It's everywhere. Uh, we are, it, it's, it's no longer something we opt into. Uh, we have to opt out of it because it's the default. So when technology goes from a tool to an ambient, it goes from something that we can use kind of already in defined parameters to something that tends to follow us everywhere we go. And so it kind of is always uh, shaping our attention spans, affecting our relationships. It's kind of always with us. I guess the most important question as we end is what's your hope, Samuel, as you think about men and women, hopefully many picking up digital liturgies, reading it from parents to pastors to young adults like yourself, what's your hope? My hope for readers of the book is the same hope that I have for myself and for my family, uh, that we would be deeply satisfied with the truth of the gospel, uh, with the, the life and the church that God has actually given us, uh, and that the temptations to be discontented, to be outraged, to fill the time with just board scrolling, that that temptation would be disarmed as we kind of discover how wonderful it is to be made in the image of God and how wonderful it is to know Jesus in a community of real saints. So that's my, that's my prayer. That's my hope for yes. all of us, for everyone listening, and for everyone who would read the book. I can't thank you enough, and I never met him, but I do greatly appreciate your mom and dad and their impact and influence on your life and how that clearly shines through in your writing and thoughtfulness as well. If you want to learn how to be a Christian thinker in this day and age that is authentic and full of wisdom, again, I can't recommend enough picking up a copy of Digital Liturgies. Samuel, thanks for carving out time to be with me today. Thanks so much, Chris. Friends, uh, what a joy it is to have these conversations. But as you know, we won't stop having these conversations. We'll continue to help you to think through how to live, share, and defend your faith in a digital age and how to help to walk with the next generation through their understanding of digital discipleship. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.